Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Good afternoon, Jules. Hi. Hello. Oh my God, I feel like it's just been such a busy week, but it's a bank holiday here in the UK today. How have you been? I'm really good, enjoying not working for a couple of days, which is awesome. I know. It's weird because I feel like I shouldn't need such a break because we're working from home anyway. Does that make sense? But I don't know. I feel like there's a level of personal fatigue that everyone has, which is slightly greater than normal. I find working from home way more strenuous and way more demanding than working from the office. So I'm beat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you don't take a lunch or things like that in the same way, or else I personally do not. And I certainly am not like... I mean, usually when I'm in the office, I go in, I start at seven and I leave at like four, four thirty. But I'll be like, good evening, everyone. See you tomorrow. Yes. Have a great evening, everyone. Here, like that just does not happen in the same way. And I know when we started recording remotely at the beginning of lockdown, like I was joking around about like, oh, yeah, after work drinks with my husband, da, da, da. that's died. We're not doing that anymore. We are not like celebrating lockdown in the same way. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think everything has collapsed into just your home. That is very, very tough. Yes. I've welcomed the break and I've definitely been enjoying having some time off. One other thing that's been going on and is actually going on right now is for all of our international listeners, one of our members of parliament, Dominic Cummings, has actually gotten in quite a lot of trouble for not adhering to social distancing rules, basically, and has been caught out. But what do you think about that whole thing? I think that actually some members of my in-laws have just been saying it would be easier to stomach if he just came out and said, listen, it's one rule for me, it's another rule for you guys. Like, (laughs) we are not the same. I think that it shouldn't be that much of an ask. If you're asking people around the country to do it, and being quite strict on what the rules are, then actually, unfortunately, I think that you should also adhere to that. What do you think? He got to go. (laughs) He got to go. That's what I think. Like, I was very annoyed when the Scottish health minister was going to her country home and she was not following lockdown rules. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's been part of creating that message for the public, like, he is a core person in the government. He is the prime minister's number one advisor. I just think his behaviour is completely unacceptable. That's one part. The second part of the story is the fact that the Prime Minister is just doubling down, defending him. Yes. That's awful. And what what I can't stand is how the politicians in this country just can't say, I made a mistake. I apologise. I understand the sacrifices that people are making. Like, people are dying at home. Mm -hmm. Themselves. Absolutely. You know, People are not able to see their loved ones. People are not able to see members of their family. And you're just doing you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And even just, as you said, the the doubling down bit is a bit of a slap in the face. So basically, this guy has been traveling from London to Durham and back again, or like vice versa. What, three times over the past couple of weeks? It's a significant distance, basically. And again, I know I say this a lot, but I know that we've got listeners in the US. I don't know if this is equivalent to... Trump popping down to Florida for a golf weekend, which he did this weekend, just gone, I believe. But like, it is jarring to see that the people in charge are 
being so flippant about what we know is a very serious issue. Cummings, I think, was also one of the people who was behind the herd immunity kind of thesis that the UK was planning to roll out in the initial stages of COVID. So Yeah, but the funny thing is that him and his wife were suspected of having COVID-19 and they said they would travel to where his parents lived so they could maybe have some childcare as an option. And then I kept saying to my husband, I'm like, I don't understand what the circumstance is. Yeah. I was like, well, the circumstance is he has a child. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't understand. And I assume his parents are not young. Yeah, I know. Why would you be putting your parents at risk? There's been obviously like a series of gaffes from politicians and would-be politicians and people going for the presidential run in the US and so on and so forth over the past weeks. And like, I mean, since day dot, that has been the case. But also what I think really rankles me, what really winds me up is that at this point, it would be very easy to say, listen, I've seen how annoyed people are about this. In hindsight, I really shouldn't have done it. I appreciate that it wasn't the right thing. I wasn't really thinking, but he has said, I don't regret what I did. And as I said, I think reasonable people may well disagree about how I thought about what to do in those circumstances. But I think what I did was reasonable. Firstly, that's word salad. Bye. Bye. <laughs> got to go. I can't wait. Like this guy has got to go. And what's interesting is that this is even pissing off Tory voters. The Tory press are not having this. Yeah. Right. Daily Mail, everybody is, you know, saying this is unacceptable. So it's definitely going to have an impact. The fact that Dominic Cummings is doing a press conference itself. Yeah. Crazy because he doesn't speak to the public. Well, and also I see, I mean, I guess this is the cultural dystopia that we live in. He seems to be trying to take a leaf out of Trump's book in terms of now switching this to the the media. So the actions of the media really are to blame because they've whipped people up into a frenzy because they let people know that he was he was basically doing whatever he wanted. Just fascinating. It's an incredible time to be alive. It's definitely an incredible time to be alive, right? And there have been a lot of gaffes this week. And I think that all these people that are making gaffes could really take a page out of Doja Cat's book. So I don't know if you've seen her. No, she's come out and she's made a very strong statement. Oh, really? She's really killed it. Like, I'm so proud of her. Funny enough, obviously, we've gone on this, like, incel-like rampage, which mm-hmm. we'll stop now because it's very intense. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> then the weekend, it came out that, you know, Doja Cat hangs out in incel groups, hanging out with white supremacists, laughing to racist jokes and making some racist jokes herself, apparently. And then so on the weekend, you know, the internet was like, okay, she needs to be cancelled because this is mm-hmm. unacceptable. And so she's come out with a statement today and she's like, I've been hanging out in chat groups since I was a kid. You know, what was happening in those chat groups was unacceptable. I'm a black female. I know that I have a platform. I really apologise if I've hurt anybody. And I take this very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you go, girl. Because yeah. everybody makes a mistake. And I think that, you know, I never will judge someone on, like, the mistake. Where I really will judge someone is, like, how they react when people... Yeah give them feedback when people share their opinion so I felt she came back very very strong and I feel like Dominic Cummings and all these people who can't say you know I made a mistake could really learn from that yeah that's really interesting I hadn't seen that the thing is breaking news that's like 
my husband's the researcher for this podcast and he yeah. said that to me like half an hour ago so that's breaking news fresh off the press if we ever start to actually generate revenue from this podcast we need to start supplying Juliet's husband with a salary because he oh. is constantly like guys have you seen this hello are you paying attention <laughs> that's amazing though that's really because I think that as you said especially in the kind of social media world that we live in now it is inevitable that you are going to make mistakes or that that there's going to be something stupid that you've said there's going to be like some stupid opinion that you shared or a meme or something that you put up on either Instagram or MySpace or Bebo or Twitter or Instagram and if you get shot to fame like someone is going to unearth it like it's inevitable so as you said it's how you rally behind that that's yeah. really important yeah I think the challenge though with Doja Cat is that she was hanging out in the incel chat like a week ago so <laughs> it's really not- I could not believe like this was last week right and obviously people on the internet know how to like investigate and do research so yeah. like based on her Instagram lives and the outfits that she'd been wearing, it was like, oh, she jumped on the chat a week ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, a... we're all on lockdown. We've got time. Oh, the internet has time. The, the internet has so oh, wow. much time. I think in her context, though, obviously, she's a young woman. Like, she's 24 years old, clearly, like, struggling with some things. And I hope that she can resolve those issues because she has issues. I hope she can resolve them. Yeah. But I think the way she's handled it from a media perspective just coming out, you know, and just saying, um, you know, she's working on it or she's handling it. I think that's a lot better than, you know, what we're seeing from other people. I totally agree. And actually, I will see if we can unearth it for the podcast. But a couple of years ago, just completely randomly, I read a really interesting article. I think it might have been on Jezebel. Basically, it was like, ask a publicist. And it was five publicists or something like that who worked in the world of celebrity and they were talking about, you know, the the various pitfalls, the fires that you end up having to put out, da 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 And one of the people, I'm paraphrasing, but was basically like, as soon as I take on a new client, I just delete their social media because far easier to be like an Angelina Jolie who doesn't have an Instagram, doesn't have a Twitter, occasionally makes appearances on these things as a guest from like on Disney, for example, because now she's doing the Eternals or she'll do like public appearances. But if she launches a Twitter now, there is nothing stupid that she is going to say on it because like that period of her career is over where you just be like, oh, I don't know how social media works. I'm just tweeting my thought process and like who knows what might happen. She's a more mature example Obviously, I know that it's different because for so many young artists, everybody just is on social media. But yeah, I think it's very difficult now to not be on social media. I think Angelina Jolie fans are looking for something different. Yes. Look at someone like like Doja Cat was really cool on the Internet because she was like a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Cardi B, a lot of people fell in love with her because of her Instagram, because she, God, was just, yes. she just had an, such an authentic voice that a lot of people weren't familiar with. Right. So if you do it right, it can work for you. But there's a thin line. Right? Yeah. Like, I think what's sad about the Internet now is like, yeah, people really show just do too much. There's a very thin line. It's super, super tricky. That is true. And I think as well, it's like a fine line between exploiting that, getting to make that a career for yourself, making that lucrative, like a la the Kardashians, for example, who objectively, 
like whatever your feelings are on the Kardashians, positive or negative, they monetized something huge before it was available to be monetized. Oh yeah, they they've absolutely smashed it. I can't even intellectualize Khloe Kardashian's picture on the internet this week. <laughs> Just like, um, I really feel she's a real victim. Oh, absolutely. But then I often wonder with those kind of things, like, so to clarify that point, I assume that you're talking about her most recent Instagram post where she literally looks like a completely different person. Yeah. Not only has she been photoshopped beyond belief, but she has also like, had a huge amount of surgery because let's be clear, like the celebrities are not, I'm waiting for lockdown to be over because I need to get Botox again. That is not the case for celebrities. They're not rationing their fillers or their Botox until like this whole period of time is over. So she's clearly had some top up work done while she is on lockdown in Calabasas or wherever. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so difficult to keep up with Khloe Kardashian's face. And I think, you know what, live your life, whatever. The challenge we have now is that, you know, when you just think about all the young girls, mm-hmm. um, you know, on social media and the negative impact it's having on mental health, you know, it being yeah. mental health month, right? Just to bring some awareness to that. Like, I think that Instagram should put something in place where it's like now with a lot of the influencers, if it's an ad, they have to say it's an ad. Yeah. If it's photoshopped, there should it be... should have to say. There should be some icon that says it's photoshopped because it's an yeah. un standard it's so true it's so true and I think that like for a while obviously when people use filters like even if it's just like a, an airbrushing filter or whatever it appears in the upper left hand side of the post or of the story or whatever there was another again I think this may have also been a Jezebel article to be honest that there's been like a surge of people who go to plastic surgery offices where once the trend would have been to bring a picture of a celebrity and be like oh okay I want to have whatever I'm gonna, I can't think of any celebrities today so I'm like oh Angelina Jolie again um, <laughs> but I want Angelina Jolie's nose whereas now the trend has emerged that people will bring in a Snapchat filter or an Instagram filter of their own face and be like this is what I want to look like and these surgeons are saying things like these filters remove your nasolabial folds we cannot get rid of those you would look absolutely bizarre if in real life you did not have those lines around your mouth the contouring that these filters give you is just not realistic in real life it might look cute on a picture but the manifestation of it in reality would be really disconcerting and I think that basically I think that these filters and the ability to photoshop and things like that have made us immune to our own faces like well Khloe Kardashian is definitely immune to her own face I'm still managing with mine <laughs> her own face and I, I was reading an article in the New Yorker a few weeks ago called the age of Instagram face and it's basically how Instagram has kind of created this new beauty standard which is like a cyborgian look and so you have to have like these oval shaped eyes yes eyelashes and like a bit like racially ambiguous mm-hmm. so there's like a specific look now plump lips and that's like the Instagram standard and even the people who are in that culture that created that standard the Kardashians are leading on that can't even live up to that standard yes 
Yeah, of course, because it is like the the barbification of your features. I can say quite honestly, like if I was in Hollywood, if I was a celebrity, like if I was exposed to that world, I would be having it all done. And I know that that like from a self-esteem perspective, like that's a terrible thing to say. I don't mean it to be like, hey, like do what you want, because I do think people should be allowed to have whatever surgical procedure you choose. But I just mean that I would be so gluttonous about like, oh my God, you can change that. That's a thing that you can do. I would almost be treating it as an experiment. I'm constantly finding things being like, you know, you can do that. You know, that this is a thing that you can get done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So in this article, basically it says, um, we're talking an overly tanned skin tone, a South Asian influence with the brows and eye shape an African-American influence with the lips, a Caucasian influence with the nose, a cheek structure that is predominantly Native American and Middle Eastern. And then the doctor goes on to say that people are absolutely getting prettier. The world is so visual right now and it's only getting more visual and people want to upgrade the way they relate to it. So it's like, it's all fun and games when it's like, oh yeah, I'll test this. Oh yeah, I'll test that until like you can't do any more plastic surgery like if you start plastic surgery when you're like 14 15 oh yeah 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 can become an addiction for sure and so a bit of plastic surgery is cool like do your thing but life needs a balance and some moderation mm-hmm. and it's just the impact it's having with young girls or self-harm with bullying i mean it's really all out of control yeah it's very true and also from a monetary perspective like people are crippling themselves with debt to attain this face that is not authentic in in any way shape or form yeah but it's like i don't know if you watched too hot to handle i don't think so like a love island oh, wait yes yes you did and it's like an american version right of love island and it's yeah it's american yeah and then like one of the girls was definitely like had like that instagram face when you think about love island in general yeah it's just going towards that kind of like instagram beauty standard listen i like I said, I am genuinely interested in this. I've said it to my husband before. Like if I lived my life over, I would study medicine. I would be a plastic surgeon. I would be some kind of an aesthetic dermatologist because I find it so, so fascinating. But, and I will find these to, to share on the podcast Instagram, because the terrain is constantly changing on these things, the procedures that you can have done. And like I said, I'd experiment. I'd have absolutely everything and anything. You see, as you said, people putting for example filler in their face and now there's this like kind of word of mouth and this isn't the main theme of our podcast this evening so I'm not going to stay on it for too long but like there's this kind of word of mouth attitude that lip filler for example lasts about three months cheek filler can last up to nine months so people will be in a cycle of like okay well I got it in September so I'll just get it done again before Christmas whatever because I don't want my lips to have gone back to normal for example and numerous studies and surgeons and dermatologists and so on are actually coming out and saying now actually it lasts for significantly longer than that so if you are in this three-month cycle with your lip fillers where you think oh no I just metabolize it very quickly I've got to get it done again I've got to get it done again your face is distorting because as well what happens is filler migrates quite honestly I don't think there's anything wrong with getting filler I've gotten it done myself I've had Botox done myself but reading those things and learning about them really put things into perspective for me if you get lip filler and you keep getting it on those kind of rapid cycles, that filler will begin to migrate up. And what you have then is that kind of like that enlarged area of skin between your nose and your upper lip where it's like puffed out because all of your filler is is trying to migrate upwards. And I've seen like videos of 
women in their mid-30s who have gotten so trapped in this filler cycle in their mid-face, in their jawline, trying to create this contour, that they are literally having to have the filler squeezed out because it has stretched their skin so much that even though that they are still very young, it's aging them massively. So... I don't know, because I don't see why you would have Botox in your 20s. Okay, I have Botox in my jaw to stop me from grinding my teeth um, in my master muscles, and then I have it in between my eyebrows because I don't wear my glasses enough, so I'm perpetually frowning. So I got it in those two places to train me out of those habits. But I will say, quite honestly, I see a registered nurse who is very sparing and is very quick to say, no, you don't need that, I won't do that. So I do think that that makes the difference. But I agree. I don't think you need it in huge quantities in your 20s. Like It's like gambling. Oh, definitely. definitely. Like, you know, the office of, like, ethics and responsibility. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have that in the plastic surgery world, but there has to be something where, you know, you realise or you, you just don't do everything patients want because mm-hmm. you've got to tell them No. Yeah, absolutely. And also trends of face change so much. And I'm not saying that you should ever be trying to make your face fit a trend. But like, whatever the thing is now about contour jawlines and people getting filler, you know, just underneath their ear to create a very square jawed face, that will not remain a trend for long. That's a trend for now because of Instagram. But like, as with anything, things ebb and flow. Do you really want to be injecting something into your face that might last up to 18 months, if not longer, just because you liked how the side of someone's face looked, basically? Oh, my God. So crazy. So the other thing that we have to talk about this week, and a couple of you actually sent it through to us to make sure that we would be talking about it this week, is Lana Del Rey's post on, I think, Thursday. So we're recording this on Monday. She put this post on her Instagram on Thursday of last week. Jules, I don't know if you want to... No, I'm leaving. This is your discussion. I'll go crazy. <laughs> so, I'm going to paraphrase, basically. I'm not going to read out her whole Instagram post, although obviously we will be sharing it on the podcast story on Instagram. But basically, she released a statement on her social media talking about... It's hard because as someone who likes Lana Del Rey's earlier music, her earlier albums, it's very hard to not say what I want her to have said versus what she actually did say if that makes sense let's focus on what she said so basically she released a statement saying question for the culture now that Doja Cat Ariana Camilla Cardi B Kelani and Nicki Minaj and Beyonce have had number ones about being sexy wearing no clothes fucking cheating etc can I please go back to singing about being embodied feeling beautiful by being in love even if the relationship is not perfect or dancing for money or whatever I want without being crucified or saying that I'm glamorizing abuse I'm fed up with female writers and alt singers saying that I glamorize abuse when in reality I'm just a glamorous person singing about the realities of what we are all now seeing are very prevalent emotionally abusive relationships all over the world I think before we say anything else it's really disappointing that she included the first paragraph at all I wish that that had just not been included in the narrative whatsoever. I think that she was trying to create a parallel of herself and artists who are at number one currently or are experiencing great success currently, but it was a bad move. What about that was a good move? (laughs) What is there did she say that you felt like, oh, she's making a valid point? Because people are still confused about what she was trying to say. 
I don't know that there was anywhere that I was like, oh, that really resonates. That really clicks with me because it simply doesn't. The problem is when you release a statement like that, it's not like you can say, oh, well, listen, I didn't think this part was so bad. Because even if that's the case, the fact is that the rest of it was. Like, even if you have 1% that isn't, if 99% of it is clunky and inarticulate and badly thought out, it colours the overall rhetoric. Would you agree? I don't think there was anything in what she said that was redeeming. Nothing about what she said initially that was redeeming and the way she reacted to the feedback for me was absolutely awful and the challenge with the whole thing is that I was talking to a friend of mine we were basically saying like it was just a racket it was just a scam like she used these women as props to make a point and her point was oh look at these women shaking their ass and being sexy and feminists have no issue with them but feminists have an issue with me Mm -hmm. right and so I didn't even know that people were after Lana Del Rey and her lyrics and things like that Mm -hmm. I would like to know who are those people who are they this is like a part of a broader discussion as well I think not trying to take it away from LDR at this point but what I do really think is as well and this is going to sound like condescending to our listeners but I think that our listeners are switched on enough that they'll agree with me like don't look to any pop star for feminist guidance is that well, it's not it's not about that because when we talked about Taylor Swift a couple of weeks ago you were saying that if you're in a public space if you're famous you should be mindful about the things oh, that you put out there right so i mean there's some hardcore feminist texts that you could read but pop stars have an influence no totally don't get me wrong i'm not negating that and you're right to draw the parallel from when we spoke about Taylor Swift a couple of weeks ago um because I said then and I'll say now, you have an awareness about the ripple effect. You know that you can stir your fans up as well. Like, you know that the stan culture that embodies so much of how we behave now in society, like, can be whipped up into a frenzy. And so you have a responsibility in the words that you use and the the statements that you issue, that they're thoughtful, basically, that they make sense. The, the point that you are trying to make, and I, as I said, I don't know what point she was trying to make. I guess that it was like, just stop criticizing my work in a broad sense. Like, just don't criticize me. But you kind of need to be a bit more articulate than that. And also, if that is the case, if you are saying, please don't criticize me, don't produce art because art is going to be criticized. So when I look at it, she's like, oh, look at these women majority women of color look at them and they're having success I don't see them being criticized by feminists there should be a space for women like me who are more delicate who are perhaps taken advantage of by men and in our relationships there should be a space for my voice in feminism Mm -hmm. that's basically what she was trying to say delicate women like her now when women of color or the fans of the artists that she mentioned engage and said It's inappropriate for you, Lana Del Rey, who has all the privilege in the world to now Mm -hmm. compare yourself to people who have been discriminated against a lot more than you could ever imagine. Yeah. We know what it's like for women online and women that are famous. That is on steroids when you're a non-white woman in the media, Mm -hmm. right? So yes, Beyonce is at where she is now in her career, but 
like we all know how the world works so the initial statement was like whoa like what's going on here mm-hmm. funny side of it for me I didn't really know much about Lana Del Rey as an artist I was laughing with my friend like how could this girl even write Beyonce's name like we literally laughed for one hour we were like what the hell is going on here mm-hmm. and it could have been like okay all right guys I didn't word this the right way that was not what I was trying to say but like she doubled down and just got all Laura Ingram on everyone right Mm -hmm. so I don't think there was a real point in there I think the point was I'm trying to sell my album that's coming out soon I'm trying to sell my poetry that's coming out soon I really feel it was just a marketing campaign one at at its core I want hundred percent I mean at the end of that statement on Instagram she literally says anyway I'll be explaining more in my new book of poetry called so yeah I think that you're right I think that it was a marketing ploy I think as well like I think the doubling down in the same way that we just spoke about with Dominic Cummings is the bit that is jarring and I will say that I really wanted to find a diamond in diamond in the rough that's not the right phrase but I wanted to find something salvageable in her initial statement because I have liked her music she as a a star is not someone who really has a formed entity right like she didn't have a formed for me at least as someone who would know her wouldn't be like oh god yeah she's funny on twitter or she like engages with her fans in xyz way so I wanted there to be something like redeemable within that statement and initially I think I had said to you that I had hoped that it was the part in maybe I think the the fourth paragraph where she says, I am not not a feminist, but feminism needs to include people like me, which you've already touched on. And I thought that's a really interesting idea that we have a very binary idea as a whole as to what feminism looks like. We think that it has to be very strong. It has to be very assertive. I thought if that's the kind of opener, she still worded that badly, but what an interesting idea. I think that in the context of feminism, like you, you are someone who also doesn't really click with that term. And you've said it to me before. I wonder if like we've become so militant with feminism like it wasn't enough for her to just be like I'm not a feminist it do- I don't really resonate with that movement it was like I'm not not a feminist but this is what I think feminism should look like to me and I think that that's like problematic as well it's problematic to talk about that you feel that you are being criticized but you're going to name whatever it is six artists at the beginning of your your statement and you don't think that they've been criticized at all it shows like a laziness about how much thought you were willing to put in to this statement and how much of a victim complex you really have yeah it was it was interesting I think for me I have so much clarity around my issue with feminism there's like feminism as a concept which is equal opportunity for women you know and that women can do things as well as men right I believe that when you see how feminism is like if you look at the suffragette movement, the suffragettes were like, we deserve to have the vote. If a black man can vote, mm-hmm. we should definitely be able to vote, right? So a core of the suffragette movement was white supremacy. Yeah. And, you know, we've spoken about like the wing and like women's clubs. They don't include women of color. Women of color are not a part of it. So as somebody who is a woman of color, I can't stand for a club or stand for a movement that doesn't include me so that's like my only issue with how feminism tends to play out it doesn't tend to be inclusive so when Lana Del Rey listed old Beyonce Cardi B all of these artists 
and then talks about feminism, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Because yes, Beyonce is such a superstar. When you're black and you become famous, when you're Serena Williams, when you're Beyonce, when you're Rihanna, these feminist groups will want to hang out with you and want to include you in their newsletter mm-hmm. and put you on the cover of your magazine. But when you're Cardi B stripping and you're on Twitter, they're not interested in you. Yeah. So, like, I've definitely thought about it. And, like, I've gone to, like, all women clubs or, like, feminist clubs and literally looked at, like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. So that's... It's not like, oh, I'm sitting here pointing my finger at feminists. But I'm realising, like, oh, wait a minute. When they mean all women, they actually don't mean me. So that's my experience of it. Then, obviously, Lana Del Rey has her experience of it where she feels like, okay, I'm a bit more delicate, I'd be more vulnerable in my relationships, and maybe I don't feel that there is a space for me either. That's a legitimate conversation to have. That is, totally. And I think that part of the issue is that that is what I wanted her to be saying, right? I thought, like, that's an interesting idea. We do put, like, an undue amount of emphasis in this fourth-wave feminism. Like, when we talk about feminism, we talk about being strong, being assertive, like not needing a man, like all of this Mm. kind of, we're very binary. Oh, but how can you be a feminist if you are a stay-at-home mum? Or how can you be a feminist if you are whatever? And I thought that that was like, that could have been such an interesting critique. Like, let's be real, that clearly wasn't her intention. What her mental iteration of feminism is, is do not criticize me. And that's Mm. what she's looking for from whatever movement, Mm -hmm. the fifth wave. Um, mm. feminism that she's actually looking for yeah and when she doubled down and basically was like oh I don't care like all the engagement that she was getting right and she like waved it away and she's like I don't care you're trying to create a race war I was like that is the typical feminist approach mm. just like at the wing the minute these women who were exposed to that space said this is my experience it was you shut them down And initially, when I looked at Lana Del Rey's statement, my focus wasn't really on her statement. My focus was more on how women of colour exist in music Mm -hmm. and the fact that, wow, this is the only time ever that four women have been in the top 100 of the Billboard charts ever. Yeah. So my thing was, look, Nicki Minaj has been in music for over 10 years. This is her first number one. This is Nicki Minaj's first number one. So I was looking at it in the context of, okay, you know what? Maybe you don't realize what these women have to go through to be where they are. And yeah. all of them have been vulnerable, undermined, taken advantage of all the things Lana Del Rey was saying in her statement. The women that she was talking about have had a similar experience. So yes. it was such an opportunity. Like if, you, if, if it was someone with a genuine intention, it was such an opportunity to have such an interesting discussion and then she went all Fox News on us. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Typical. Typical. Yeah, that's it. Like, as you said, her reaction to it showed that her intentions were not genuine. And I think that that's what's important. Again, like, it's easy to sit and make a wish list for me. I mean, it's easy for me to sit and make a wish list of what she could have meant or what she was trying to say. And obviously that wasn't the case. But I had thought, like you could have broadened that discussion and used the examples of those women in your first paragraph and said, why are we given two options? Why are we demure or sexy? Why are we like strong or delicate? 
like women are not a monolith so there was mm-hmm. so much room to be like listen you know it's okay if you want to if you want to be sexy that's absolutely fine if you're being packaged as sexy to be palatable then that's not okay like there were so many points that she could have made in a really meaningful way and i think amanda seals actually said it really well when she commented on lana del rey's first post and she said i get your point and i consider it valid there was just an effective way to make it that didn't center you as someone who has been silenced after paving the way for the women you listed to speak freely about their experiences, which is simply not true. And it's true. Like it's an interesting idea that we maybe need to. And I think as well, sometimes with feminism, it's like the, it's the buzzword, right? It's like, it's trendy to be a feminist and we will quite happily wear or not wear that label accordingly, but not give any real thought to it and to what it actually means to us and so it was easier for Lana Del Rey to say oh I'm not not a feminist as opposed to just be like listen I'm not and I yeah if you're not it's okay like I I don't like I wouldn't say that I'm a feminist if I went to go to the local feminist hangout I'm sure they'd look at me like what are you doing here so I wouldn't say that I'm a feminist so that's legit like you have to kind of be a bit clear about like who you are and what your position is and maybe she's not maybe she's not not like (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know and I I think for me like it was just so offensive especially when you think about Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, Doja Cat, Megan Thee Stallion right black women in popular music have to take their clothes off Someone like Beyonce, who's at an icon stage, she still has to take her clothes off to make music and be relevant. Mm -hmm. So I get that point of like, oh, yeah, you know, like hypersexual, confident women. But unfortunately, black women can't be delicate and be at number one. Like, I feel like Lana Del Rey has definitely has a voice. If she's singing the type of music that she's singing, which is like quite different, that is like amazing because... Even if Beyonce wanted to make a song about being in an, an abusive relationship, like, it wouldn't work. There's no space for, for Beyonce to do that. Mm. You know? There's literally no space. It's just not allowed. It's like literally like not on the table. So I think people just don't realise how narrow the lane is. Mm-hmm. You know? And as, as long as you've got like Beyonce, you've got Rihanna in that lane, there's no room for someone else that looks like them to really like be in that lane so what happened with those two collaborations was just so amazing Mm -hmm. because it's incredibly rare you know and that's why I think people were super fired up when this Lana Del Rey thing happened right and somebody could say oh wow I never knew that I didn't even think about that yeah and that's completely legitimate but when somebody goes from saying oh these they're my favorite artists to shut up like go away I don't care if if you agree uh, or not. Yeah, I don't care if you agree or not. You're trying to create a race war. No, it's true. It's true. What do you call that? That's a dog whistle, race war. It, it is. And what I are you think, talking about? Like, this is it. We we talk about a lot of different things on the podcast. And I will say, like, this is one of those ones where I did, uh, I, and I've already said it this episode, but, like, where I didn't want it to be, I thought that if it, it could bear the closer inspection, that would be like, oh, actually, you know what? that's an interesting idea. Maybe we do need to look to be a bit more inclusive with our terminology, da, 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 da. But do you have a view on that? Like, as a feminist, like, do you have a view on what she's saying? In terms of being a fan of Lana Del Rey, understanding her a bit more than, like, me. I don't, I don't know anything about her, apart from the little research I've done. 
like, isn't there a contradiction with the feminist movement, which is meant to be challenging patriarchy? Yeah, no, absolutely. But this is it. Like, I would say that I am a fan in the sense that I liked her music, but I would have never thought of her as someone who really embodied any kind of feminist traits anyway. You know, and I think that that isn't necessarily somewhere that I would have been getting my quote unquote feminism from, my not not feminism from. And I think that Rachel Cargill said it really well when she did a kind of a breakdown analysis of Lana Del Rey's post where she responded to someone's comment being like, I genuinely don't think that she meant it this way. I don't think she anticipated that anyone would be bothered to analyze it, basically. And Rachel Cargill made the point that, like, that is very much so a symptom of white supremacy, that oftentimes we don't have to think about the far-ranging implications of things that we do say. And if you think of yourself uh, as a white person, like, if you think of yourself as someone who is like, oh, my God, I would never pals something like that I would never say those things I would never think those things like I think that she just meant to name artists who are number one at the moment she may very well have meant to just name artists who are number one at the moment but the fact is that there are more far-ranging implications and there should have been some point at which she read back on what she had written and thought actually even though it's not my intention there is something very intolerant basically about what I've written yeah what's people's obsession with intention right let's say I say something inappropriate and I hurt your feelings whether that was my intention or not I still hurt your feelings so I need to take responsibility for that I don't feel like intentions are more important than the impact of what I've said or what I've done yeah we hear half apologies and we hear like, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. I'm sorry if that's what you thought I was trying to say. Or if I hurt you, I'm really sorry. That we are like... Well, what, what do you think about that? Like I somebody tried a... that with me. I was complaining with my GP. I was making a complaint. And they were like, sorry if you felt. And I was like, not today, ma'am. I was like, you're not going to say that to me. I just broke it down and I was like, this isn't about how I feel or what you intend or what you thought. This is about the facts. And then in Mm -hmm. the end, they had to apologise to me. Like, that's why to a certain extent, I respect Lana Del Rey coming out and being like, I don't care what you guys think. Because that's how, there's no point. Don't don't come around and say sorry if I didn't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do a fake. Like, if you don't care, you don't care. And she came out and she was like, I don't care. Yeah. One bit. (laughs) I would rather that than somebody trying to say oh my intentions this no 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 No, let's just be real we're all adults now but also I think we touched on this in the episode that we did about the wing which you just referenced as well where sometimes people think that there is a limited amount of pie and I think that again I'm like what if what if she had actually said but if she had made a good point about the binary nature of feminism and again and this is not me saying oh listen people who glamorize domestic abuse or abusive relationships like should be we should be saying that that's a feminist trait as well because I'm not but I do think that in a more universal sense we have a very kind of strict ideal as to what we think feminists are and are not allowed to do you know and that changes with every wave that with some ways of feminism you could be a feminist if you were shaving your armpits like we are still quite well you mustn't be if you're doing da 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 
But the fact is, like, she's not, and she didn't feel comfortable to say that she wasn't, but also she didn't take this as an opportunity to learn. And when people were like, ah, listen, like, there's some good potential points in there, but you need to think about X, Y, Z. I know that you've said, like, there's almost, like, a grudging respect for her being like, oh, well, I'm doubling down on it. Like, I'm not going to give a fake apology. But there was no interest in learning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it all just proves the point. You know, I think if you do have an interest in learning, before you sent it out on the internet, maybe you would have shared it with some people and sort of got their feedback. Mm. Um, and then maybe you'd have a crew that just told you, like, maybe this is not a good idea, right? So she's not surrounded by those types of people. Yeah. So when she did double down, like, I was not surprised. And I do respect it in the sense that like, I don't want to fetishize people's ignorance. No. And, like, give people a pass. Like, just be you. Like, be yourself show us who you are and she showed us (laughs) like it's crazy like I never would have been talking about Lana Del Rey like ever in my life I don't think I've ever said her name out loud Mm -hmm. I think she achieved her goal because she's got way more spotlight right now oh definitely and I definitely think that that was tactical as well like right we can try to ascribe as many intentions or meaning to what she wrote this is the new frontier of marketing it says something completely explosive Mm -hmm. either double down or apologize but use that explosivity to generate like her doing that has generated significantly more headlines than just being like my new album's out yeah and no publicity bad publicity no publicity is bad publicity she's getting she's getting more streams on Spotify like right now she's had a a surge of about 100 uh, a million more plays excuse me since this statement was released yeah it's really really draining and then everyone will send it to you and then you're like oh my god so shocking but there's definitely a name for this type of marketing yeah absolutely I've got got to figure out what it is like shock shock marketing or I don't know yeah shock advertising or something like that but then shock advertising I remember, I don't remember because I was young at the time, but United Colors of Benetton used to do shock advertising where they would like be showing scenes of war and wouldn't mention United Colors of Benetton at all. But then at the very end of the advert, it would just be like a a blank slide which said United Colors of Benetton. So that's what I think of when I think of shock advertising, where you're like, oh my God, like that really made me think. Whereas this is like much more insidious because it's designed to generate clicks and and as you said to be forwarded and like for people to be like oh my god have you read this did you hear but we we're exhausted by it because somebody else is going to do something terrible shortly yeah it's super like I'm definitely drained I will just say like some things that I thought just handle so many of like these topics like socio-economic issues like race issues like really really well it's a new show on Netflix Little Fires Everywhere this show, it's like one of the best shows I've watched. Is that on Netflix? I thought it was on Hulu. Sorry. Oh, yeah, but sorry, Amazon Prime. Oh, Amazon Prime. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. But it's so well done. It's just epic. So I think if you like this podcast and you're into like some of these topics, you would definitely enjoy the show. Me and my husband were like, Reese Witherspoon deserves all the awards. Like, I love she, her. I love her in general. Like, well, I love her as she comes across on her Instagram I think she's epic she's so 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 cool and just like the character in this show she nails it to the wall Mm -hmm. she absolutely kills it Kerry Washington is good as well 
but there are a lot of similarities in just like how she it's a completely different character to Scandal okay right it's a completely different character to when she played Olivia Pope in Scandal but she kind of behaved really similarly right so okay. I really felt like oh that's the Olivia Pope walk or like <laughs> that's just like Olivia Pope oh my god uh, Olivia Pope in Scandal though just as a quick aside has the best coat porn like yeah. 100% but anyway I digress it's just something yeah. that I still think about when I think about that show oh yeah she killed it but like Reese Witherspoon just is just heads and shoulders above everyone in this show I loved it I loved it have you finished I loved it? it I can't get over it I finished it like because it that- just takes on everything every issue is in this every issue is in this and it's done so well and it's based on a book right and I was, yeah, was like, gonna say it's by Celeste Ng. Yeah, but I was like, who wrote this book? Right? Because I'm like, the characters were so developed. It's very right. rare to find a black family and the characters are like so well developed. Right. Okay. Right. And then even some of like the other stories in there, you're like, whoa, this is like so well developed. There's like so much like empathy and thought that's going into this. I'm like, who has actually written this? And then I found oh, out it's Celeste Ng. Because did you watch Big Little Lies? No, I haven't watched it, but it's on my list. I want to watch it. I have to say, I really liked that. And series one is based on Celeste Ng's... She wrote She wrote that book too. Oh, cool. So, so she's killing it. Yeah, she is actually, yeah. Yeah, she's on fire. I because think, she wrote... I think she is anyway. I'm going to have to double check that now. But I know that there was an author that Reese Witherspoon was basically like... Yeah, I want to buy up. I want that one and I want that one because Reese Witherspoon came out and said, right, like I am now at the age where I need to produce things that I want to star in because I'm too old to get, like as far as Hollywood's concerned, I'm too old to get any roles now. So that's why she moved into production because she was like, the people that I work with are like, oh, they can have the wife role or the aging mother or something like that, as opposed to being like front and center stage. But I'm pretty sure that Celeste Ng also wrote Big Little Lies, which again was really, in terms of character development, was fascinating. Yeah, I'm definitely going to um, look into that. I love Reese Witherspoon, which is why I wanted to watch Big Little Lies. Yeah. But I can't get over it. Thematically, there's so much going on. So it's just difficult. I don't want to like throw like all the themes out there and make it a monologue. But this show, she absolutely smashed it. I feel like she's someone I would be friends with. It's not based on anything, but like, you know, when you think about I've got a good feeling about certain celebrities. Yeah, but she's epic. Like, she's super funny. Like, the way she's like, oh, yeah, Beyonce's a friend of mine. Like, she's hilarious. (laughs) Like, She's, like, super cool. I put, like, her and Ellen Pompeo in, like, the same, same bracket of just, like, super cool women. And so, I don't know. I've seen the advert for it. But, like, watching it, just from the first episode, I was just like, oh, my days. And apparently it's, like, a really female-heavy production and, and yeah, all of that. Yeah, she's super on that. They killed it. They killed it. I have to say, I'm reading a Stephen King book at the moment. Like, Stephen King is very much so my guilty pleasure, but I'm reading a book called The Stand at the moment, which is actually about, like, a dystopia after a global pandemic and how society, like, reforms itself. Obviously, because it's Stephen King, there are, like, more mystical sub-themes going on. But we are 
social creatures so like patterns always emerge as i'm saying that i'm thinking about in case anyone because i know sometimes people listen to this for book recommendations and like tv recommendations if you are listening to this and you're looking for a dystopian like sci-fi book to read because i absolutely love them margaret atwood's oryx and crake is the best trilogy of that nature that i've ever read i wish i could read it again like i wish i could read it again for the first time basically did you finish um normal people oh my god yeah the tv show yeah yeah oh my god yes uh, <laughs> was it, was i watched it really that good like again? in about two days a day and an evening yeah i i loved it now i loved it because i felt like it was very for me it really resonated because of like how intoxicating like first love is and you know like how consumed you are by it and with it and how it feels so like life altering like no one's ever experienced this before and so it was funny watching it back and being like oh my god you really do think like the world is ending and I don't know if you've watched it yet I haven't watched it no but like you you have read the book so you know like Marianne and Connell as the main characters are super intense they're so serious and I was actually saying it to my husband after I finished it that like I think that part of that is because at that age and at that time you are so self-obsessed that you do think like as I said no one has ever experienced anything like this before like Mm -hmm. my first love is so intense it's so meaningful and I was thinking like my relationship with my husband now is so much more like relaxed there's no performance aspect to it there's no we just have a laugh and we love each other and I think that it's funny to watch things and be like oh my god that is so me god we were so stupid (laughs) yeah but I think people are still in that intense phase it's such a privilege to have a relationship and just be chill yes Mm -hmm. like that's just like the good phase right but at any age, people can bring all of that same That's energy true. to their relationships. Like some people don't grow out of that. It's an age thing, but then it's also an age like where the relationship is at in its maturity. For sure. And it's also, I think, about what you're you're looking for. Now, like I have to say with my first boyfriend with that, like that big love, that Connell and Marianne love, like he's just a really nice, normal guy. Like he wasn't super toxic. There was no, we spoke last week about, oh, if you've had like incel experiences, let us know. This guy was not that at all. It was just that it was like, for me, that experience of first love was completely overwhelming. And it shows for me, at least, I don't want to insult anyone who's listening and who might be going through it now. It was also just like a sign of emotional immaturity that you you know, that it was like, oh my God, life altering, life ending. And as you said, like, it is such a privilege to just be chill. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm just like, so chill. Yeah. Like, I, I, just, I was I not. I couldn't cope with like real life now and like that yeah, type of relationship. Exactly. Oh, I was not a chill have. person. Like, and we're friends now, myself and this guy, but like, I'm sure that he would attest, even though he's like living in Australia now and has a girlfriend of his own, I'm sure that he would attest, despite what a nice guy he is, that like, Phoebe was definitely not chill. (laughs) Thank you for your patience, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so, so funny. But guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting all the way to the end of our podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at JulesBB and you can send us your questions to jules.bb at gmail.com if you want to be featured on our show. We would love to hear from you. 
And also, if there's anything that you think that we should chat about, like I said, this week, several of our listeners sent through the Lana Del Rey post. Let us know. We're always looking for ideas and we love hearing from you as well. So thank you for listening and speak soon. Bye.